blessings to you all. I'm looking forward to spending this time together. I want to talk to you about, uh, well, talk to you about breakthrough. I do. And how it relates to the timing of God. And this, this I think, has particular relevance for us as we wait uh, for the changes that uh, are even, you know, now in motion. And, and uh, we're hopeful. We're still hopeful. We retain our optimism. And even now, Lord, I, I just invite you into this time that you would cultivate a vital optimism inside of us. Not a hopelessness, but a hopefulness that you can do marvelous and wonderful things. So we welcome you into this time. We delight in your goodness, Lord. And we pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. You know, I think, you know, in, in, a, in a larger sense, this is a, a challenging time, but for so many reasons, right? But I think at a personal level, this can also be true. Um, many of us are waiting for a door to swing open. And obviously at a societal level, but at a personal level, we're looking forward to turning, turning a page, to starting a new chapter. And we've been waiting and we've been hoping for God to give us a breakthrough that, you know, the breakthrough that I often say can lead to the break, you know, breakout. And, you know, we saw last week how Joseph, when he was in prison, you remember he had been there for two years after he interpreted the dream of a man who had promised to, to help him. And, uh, you know, remember Pharaoh had that dream and it was such a vivid dream that he couldn't shake it. And well, actually he had two dreams, Pharaoh did. And both of them were very troubling to him and sensing that they meant something he desperately had, had sought for his uh, magicians, his uh, spiritual enchanters, uh, his advisors, asking them for answers, but no one could help. He was frustrated. He was downcast. He was disturbed. <laughs> and uh, that put the entire palace on pins and needles. We talked about that. A, a pharaoh that isn't happy is a dangerous thing. And they understood that a troubled king um, creates a, <laughs> an environment where trip wires are everywhere. <laughs> anyway, one of his key servants, the chief cupbearer, was reminded of how when he was in prison, a young Hebrew, a man named Joseph, had interpreted his haunting dream and how it actually had proven to be true, accurate. Like that interpretation was spot on. And and so we know that the, the cupbearer uh, took a risk. He, he recounted his experience to Pharaoh. You know, it's like he said, you know, there was something that has, uh, Pharaoh, there was something that's come back to my mind. I, I, there, 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 if I may offer this, there was a man, there was a man when I was in prison, uh, his name, he was a Hebrew. His name was Joseph, Joseph. Yes, that was his name. I, I actually, I made him a promise, but I, I, I didn't fulfill it. Um, yeah, but I believe he can help you. I do. He has, he has a gift. He has a gift from his God. This, I saw it firsthand. 
And that brings us to verse 14 of Genesis 41. It says, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they quickly brought him out of the pit, the prison. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, at that point, he looked like an Egyptian. (laughs) And he walked like an Egyptian. But he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream. And there is no one who can interpret it. I, I tried to imagine that moment. I mean, Joseph brought out of the prison pit, cleaned up for a presentation before Pharaoh. I imagine the court is wide open. It's beautiful. It's intimidating. It's filled with officials, some of whom he knew. Remember, he had worked for Potiphar. He had entertained some of these men. He understood the ways of the court. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a fair, favorable answer. Two things are immediately noticeable, aren't they? One, don't miss it. Joseph's humility. When he says, it's not me, it's God, he is quick to give God the glory. And, and this was, this okay, this was not a, like a trite comment or a false humility or something that he was trying to do to fill an awkward space. He was honest. That, it was honesty in motion. Now, we, we need to walk wisely here. Uh, in a culture such as ours, it's very easy to come across as hyper-spiritual and, and, and say, you know, on the other end of a compliment that someone's genuinely giving us for work that we've done. And, you know, I've, I probably have done this. Well, it's not me, it's God. And, and I think it was especially true when I was a younger man, a younger minister, a younger pastor, where someone offered me an encouraging, honest word and, or maybe a point of praise. And, and uh, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be, be proud. So I, I would, I would say, no, no, this is, you mean God, you know, but, um, it almost like it would be scold, like I was scolding them. And I think I did it to safeguard myself because I didn't want to be proud, but I, I, I lacked wisdom. And in my desire to not be proud, I would diminish the compliment instead of being gracious. I was too quick to correct. My intention was good, but I was, how can I put it? I was leading out of my insecurity. And I still think it's important to tactfully find ways to let people who express some admiration for certain qualities or gifts that we possess to know that much of what they admire, and this might happen to you at work or in some other venue, but that much of what they admire or appreciate, now this is not an unfair thing to say, nor is it a false thing to say, um, that much of what they may appreciate is a direct result of what the Lord has done in our lives. And if we can find a way to tactfully share that without coming across as hyper-spiritual, I mean, that that is like a win-win-win, <laughs> all right? Uh, remember, I guess if I could put it this way, There is a time to graciously receive a compliment, which is as much for the 
other. This is what I didn't understand. It's as much for the other person as it is for ourselves. Again, you know, uh, I look back on that. And the, but there's also a time to say that the Lord, it's, it's the Lord at work in my life. I just, I want to share that too. And it's a powerful witness to say in the right way at the right time to God be the glory. It really is. And there will be opportunities when we will have a chance to say, it's the Lord at work in my life that has allowed me the privilege of being able to use these gifts or to use my talents or what I've learned to bless and to do what you are acknowledging. And so I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge his work in my life that has made me the person who I am. You understand what I'm saying? But in Joseph's case, not only do I see humility in his response to Pharaoh, but you know what else I see? And maybe you see it too. I also see confidence. I do. I mean, Joseph felt compelled to make it clear. Like the statement that caught me was, it's not me, but, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I mean, that, what he meant by that is God will give you a clear answer. And this he was sure. And that was a confident statement. I think he had already prayed. I do. And I think he felt, he felt the assurance of the Lord that God was in this moment. And so he spoke in faith. And I was reminded of a proverb. This is a great proverb. I love it. Proverbs 28.1 says this, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And you know what you have right there? That's the power of alignment. Yeah, that's what that is. You see, wickedness leads to fear and paranoia. The fear, if I can put it this way, the fear of being exposed or caught creates a kind of judgment all its own, doesn't it? And so people with things to hide are always on the run, so to speak. Think about what I just said. This is what the Bible means. The wicked flee when no one pursues. People who have things to hide or who have secrets that are, of, are not good. Like, if, like, even now, if there are elements of places in our lives where we fear being exposed, my friend, um, one whom I love, who are he? Make the change. Change the situation. Correct it. Repent in some cases. Um, go back and, and, and find a way to clear the table, to clear the slate, to, to whatever restitution needs to be done. Right? There is a time to repent and return. There's a time when God wants to free us from the secret things, the secret sins that would bind us. That's not what the Lord wants for our lives. You know, God, God wants to set us free. Um, the fear of being exposed creates a kind of judgment all its own, doesn't it? You live that way. It's no way to live. No way to live. And again, I, I say this one more time, that people with things to hide are always on the run, so to speak. And that... You can have a lot. I mean, I see things in the news all the time. You do too. People who have so much power, prestige, money, but they're living with lies, secret lies, and, and bad things are going on. And, and, and they live with like the sword of Damocles on, 
hanging over them, ready to fall. That's no way to live. Better, better to have a lot less money and a lot more freedom, right? Better to be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, yeah, we don't need you know, the 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 wicked flee when no one pursues. Nah, that's no way to live. That's not the way God wants us to live. God wants us to be like Joseph. The domain of the righteous, yes, not the perfect, not the per none of us are perfect, never will be. But that's not an excuse to be at peace with dishonesty. God wants us to pursue honesty. He wants us to seek to live that way, authentic. God submitted lives that are quick to repent. And when necessary, confess and pray. We, we, when, you, when we choose to live that way, we're going to walk in great freedom. The, I'm, what I'm talking about here is the value of a settled, hidden life that creates a confidence to move freely. Do you hear? If we get this principle, it's, it's so powerful. Like if we have nothing to hide, we move free. Like I, I'm who I am. We talked about it. The real deal man, the real deal woman. This is who we are. Do you, do you, we understand that why the righteous are as bold as a lion because they don't, they're not afraid. Do we see that's how Joseph was? And listen, that's what God wants for us as well. So Joseph says, look, tell me your dreams. Tell them. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile, and seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in, a, in the reed grass. And then there were seven other cows that came up after them. They were poor, very ugly, and thin, unhealthy, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. They actually scared me. And these thin, and then what happened next was that these thin, ugly cows, they, they devoured in a voracious, violent way, they devoured the, the, the healthy ones, the seven plump cows, and they ate them and they shredded them. It was horrifying. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. And then I awoke. And it's almost like he was saying that those, those sickly ones weren't changed by what they ate when they ate the healthy ones. And then he says, and I also had this, saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk full and good and seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears and good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. No one, no one, no one can. And then God gives Joseph what is described in scripture as a word of knowledge. How did it happen? We don't know. We're left to wonder, but it, it came to him almost instantaneously. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are actually not two dreams. They're one dream. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows, they're seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. The, the dreams are one. I tell you this. The seven lean and ugly cows, the unhealthy ones that came up after this, them are seven years as well. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty 
throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. Everybody will forget the good years because they get swallowed up and devoured by the bad ones. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream, the reason it came in, in a set, is because it means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. And then Joseph builds on the word of knowledge with what we would call in biblical language of the New Testament, a word of wisdom. My counsel to you, O great Pharaoh, would be to do this. Verse 33, now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and a wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. That's what I would do. I would actually appoint someone in your kingdom to oversee this project. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take what I would do is I would take one-fifth, that would be 20% of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. I'd, set the, I'd, I'd, I'd let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and then store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it, save it during these years of prosperity. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. And then we're told, as Pharaoh listened to this, it immediately resonated with him. Everything, everything did, even his counsel. Verse 37 tells us this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Everyone was amazed and unified. And Pharaoh said to his servants, <laughs> can, can we find a man like this in, in whom there is the spirit of the God? No. Then Pharaoh said to, to Joseph, since God, your God is implied here, has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. You. And all my people shall order themselves as you command. That's what will happen. Only as, re as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and he put on a, a golden chain around his neck. An Egyptian wrapper. Rap, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just kidding. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. And thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Think about that. I mean, well, I mean, what a remarkable thing. I mean, and just so just like that, the tables are turned. The door swings open. It never ceases to amaze me how quickly God can turn something around. I was reminded of another proverb, this one in Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Just like that, from the prison to the palace in 60 seconds. Gone in 60 seconds. And just like that, the door swings open. You know, we don't understand God's concept of time, nor do we understand his mind 
The scripture also tells us that God's ways are not our ways. God is eternal. And our history, our life, um, well, history as we know it is but a dot in eternity. It's good to remember that. Sometimes we lose perspective. And then the span of our lives on earth, if, if this life, this world is a dot <laughs> like if history is a dot in eternity, then our life is a micro dot like in, in history. It, it, on, it's just, it's amazing. You know, God, <laughs> for God not having enough time is a non-factor because he stands outside of time. God enters into time by engaging humanity in Jesus, but otherwise God stands outside of time. And now we begin to think about things we, when we talk about physics and advanced thought and uh, the way we are understanding technology, that um, some of the things that we understand about time and space uh, are actually elude us and maybe far more profound than we could ever imagine. But the capacity to imagine I think is connected to things that God put in us about reality, but that's a whole another story. But when, even for God, who is not bound um, by any limitation of time, but when the timing is right, breakthrough and deliverance can come like lightning, lightning quick. And hear me when I say that the real challenge and the key to deliverance from our end, I've been saying it, I'm going to keep saying it, is going to be our attitude in the waiting place. That's right. Our attitude in the waiting place makes a huge difference. It's the key. It's one of the keys. How do we trust God in the waiting place? Hebrews 10, 36 says, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, that's a key. After you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Remember, when everything is on hold in our lives, Let's remember to do a few things. One, let's trust that God is working, is working out his ultimate purpose. That idea of trust, let us trust that God is working out his ultimate purpose. The reason we can have a good attitude in the place that's difficult is because we are anchored in trust. When we trust that the Lord is for us and with us, then that makes a huge difference. If we've committed our way to him and been diligent and prayerful, then we need to trust. We need to trust the plan, trust the process, trust the Lord, rely on him, and be free. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall lack for nothing. When I live like that, I do not need to be afraid. I will not fear. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. For the Lord is with me. You see, now that's something I need to keep reminding myself in, um, about. Uh, that's what I mean by fix my trust. That's what faith really is. It's establishing our faith, fixing ourselves on his promise 
and choosing to live out of that belief. And remember this, here's another thing for us. I want to just put this up as well. He possesses the plan. We must possess the patience. He possesses the plan. We must possess the patience. Do you see that? Think about it again, Hebrews 10, 36. We have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. He possesses the plan. We must possess the patience. And that's the hardest part, or at least it's one of the hardest things, right? Because we get antsy or we get angry and both those two things can happen and they can happen together. But, you know, we, we want to get this thing moving. And in some cases, we actually have the power to start manipulating the process, but the Lord might want us to say, to hold that and go, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Patient, patient with the process. Be patient with the process. And um, we're not talking about getting anxious or apathetic. I don't want to do either of those two things. I don't want to say, I don't care, whatever. And I don't want when I really do. And I don't want to go, I'm um, just so anxious about something. When's it going to happen? You know, so anxious about what the future is that I can't be who he wants me to be in the present. That's a danger. And that's why the Lord really is trying to remind us to trust him that he is already working on our behalf. Now, that means good is coming in some way. I don't know how it's coming. I don't know in what way it's coming. Joseph had no idea. And I mean no idea. But the other thing that we're reminded of, and again, Hebrews 10 connects to it, is that God's timing, oh man, when it happens, it's perfect. How quickly the Lord can turn things around. <laughs> when God is on the march, amazing things happen. Oh, come, oh, come, Lord Jesus, come and do amazing things. The rapid shifting of terrain, the stunning reversals, in Joseph's case, from prisoner to premier. I mean, just like that. God, and you know, God can do it, maybe not in as a spectacular of a way. I mean, Joseph's case, it was just a, a stunning turn, right? From prisoner to the palace, right? From prison to the palace, from, from prisoner to premier. I mean, that amazing. But it may be that God turns things around for us too. It may be that in these coming months, breakthrough is going to come for us. It may be in this coming year. Boy, do we want that to happen. Oh man, do we want that to happen? Oh Lord, help us, please let that happen. But, uh, you know, let's stay open and, and then, oh, I got one final thing I want to, I want to submit to you. And here it is. It's about Joseph. It's about Joseph. He, he was not afraid to testify on God's behalf and let us never be afraid to testify on God's behalf. Um, no matter how influential or intimidating a person may be, and we may feel intimidated at times, but Joseph stood before Pharaoh, one of, if not the most powerful man on earth at this time, and his knees didn't buckle because he walked into that room in the strength and in the wisdom of God. And I just, I'm inspired by it. He didn't have, listen, he didn't have self-confidence as much as he had God confidence. And I really want that. I really want that. And if we had the Lord, then of whom shall we be afraid? Now, I know we're not Joseph. I'm not. 
he's in another league. That Old Testament, Older Testament man <laughs> is in another league. He's one of the heroes of faith. You know, and we as New Testament people affected by the reality of Jesus and the presence of his spirit, I, I find myself going, wow, Joseph is still the model, is still an amazing model. Um, but we would, we would do well to remember that even the most wealthy and famous people without Christ are in the end lost human beings in need of a savior. And I remind myself of that. I actually admire people's gifts, artists, people who excel in what they do, but I don't envy them if they don't have the Lord because I realize that they're missing the greatest thing that Jesus called the one thing that truly matters. And at the foot of the cross, don't ever forget this. We say it, but it's worth remembering. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Pedigree doesn't matter. Power doesn't matter. Temporal power. Wealth left behind. Nothing. Every achievement, every statue, nothing. Nothing matters. Now, it's fine. I want to achieve things. But in the end, rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief, every every knee will bow. And so if God allows some of us access to avenues of temporal power, then let us prayerfully come as Joseph did to serve, to serve that those that we report to or who we are able to minister to with honest, trustworthy counsel and support. Let us be faithful men and women to give the best, most honest support we can if the Lord has allowed us to do that. And, and to not pull back and remember who we ultimately work for is the Lord in every way, big and small, whether it's in the, you know, the place of the palace, the penthouse, whatever, or whether it's in our own house and some of you heroically raising your kids with very little approval uh, and sometimes nothing to show for all your work then, utter fatigue, but in the end, it's, a, it's an investment God called you to make and you're giving it your best. You know, so if, let's, just, let's just seek to do our best to the Lord wherever we may be. He's, he loves us so much. We're gonna take a moment and we'll be sharing a song. I'm gonna be coming back around. Uh, got a final thought to share. But of course, I get to remind all of you, this amazing church that you are and all of our friends from afar, that, um, you know, to be faithful in your giving, that's right, treasure in heaven. And um, honor the Lord in your tithe and your offering. You can do that traditional way, send it into the offices online, or like I do through my app, you know, whatever is best. But we give unto the Lord, we give our our heart first, yeah. So here we go, song to share, I come back around. darkest 
What a song. God's nature is to let the wasteland bloom again. And I love the line, restore the years that shame has stolen. You know, uh, I think of all that was stolen from Joseph, all that was taken, all that had to be endured, the pain that he had to walk through. And yet God, you know, God was with him and the word of the Lord tested him. And in the end, uh, God allowed that desert to bloom, didn't he? And that's what he does. Um, sometimes, you know, I think the hardest part though can be letting go and letting God. The, just trusting that the Lord is in control, that, that he, he is able to sustain us in every season and in every situation that we may find ourselves in, the Lord is with us. He's, you know it, he's so good and he's so God. And he wants us to sow his goodness and to sow his God reality, right? So that we can be his witnesses, his life givers. Um, you know, what I love about Joseph is that he was as committed to God in the prison as he was in the palace. And I hope that we can, we can follow in that similar path. So don't forget, you are so loved. May the Lord keep you spirit, soul, and body in every way at this time, in Jesus' name, amen.